absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on fearless presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I've got a special treat for you today. We're going to be talking to Brian Burkhart. He is with a company called Square Planet, and he is one of the real high-level presentation coaches out in the world. He focus, I mean, some of the things that he's done in the past is he's had a number of different people that have been on Shark Tank. He kind of coaches them before they give those big presentations and get the big money from the sharks. Uh, he's trained uh, 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 just high, high, high levels of, of executives. And, and, um, and one of the big things that he specializes in is on like event type programs. So if a company's going to have a big convention come in, not only does he coach their presenters, but he's also working on the back end of create the themes and everything. So he's got a unique expertise that uh, on some topics that we haven't really kind of delved into a lot on the podcast. So we're, we're real happy to have him here today. So well, Brian, welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I am thrilled to be here, Doug. Thanks for having me. This is very, very cool. So I appreciate the invite very much. Good deal. Okay. So did I mess up anything on the intro? Because I know I left out like a bunch. I left a bunch of stuff that you've been able to do. So best-selling author you, and all kinds of stuff like that too. So The biggest thing by far is that I am a dead ringer for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. and so I can I, see that. Yes, of course. Yeah. Lots of people stopping me for his autograph. And, you know, no, you did a great job. Not a good deal. No, but no, no, but there are some other kind of expertise, things that you, you've you kind of done that are that are a little unique, and not just public speaking, just but just in general. I, I know you teach in universities and at the university level sometimes yeah. as well, but fo- mainly focusing on the business type of presentation, though, correct? No doubt about it. I think you described it really well, actually. The biggest difference I think that I can bring to the party for some people, especially in the world of business communications, is that the world I occupy as as often a behind-the-scenes producer of these large events is I really see both sides. I see it from a keynote presenter myself, a guy who stands on stage to deliver, but also very much as an audience member, which is perhaps the most important aspect. Sure. And then third and finally, as a presenter who will be in that situation. So I have this weird, almost three-part harmony or exposure to presentations in a way that most people don't typically have. So it's kind of a unique viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know one of the things that, that, uh, that was kind of interesting about some of the things that, that, that I've come across with you is that one of the things that I've seen is that you like to start from from kind of like the ground level, what you call, I think you call it the DNA level when you're helping presenters. And what exactly does that mean? Cause I, I think I know what that means. Cause I think I'm uh, kind of a similar coach. I, I like to think anyway, but, but tell me what you mean by kind of changing the core beliefs and, and really making the, the presentation better from, from the beginning or from the ground level. I love that question. I really appreciate you asking. Um, I will tell you a quick story. So just yesterday, I am now based in Phoenix, Arizona, after finally getting wise of being frozen for 46 years in Chicago. Right. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I said, enough. And so I now uh, reside and have my office right here in Phoenix. And yesterday, yesterday was my first day uh, being sort of a staff member of Arizona State University. And I'm oh, nice. not a professor, not, I'm, it's, it's just sort of a, a, a small, very small little initial gig. But I sat through eight presentations by very senior leaders of organizations within the uh, Valley, which, which is the Phoenix metro area, they call it the Valley. 
Sure. um, We're not talking kids. These are well into their adult life senior leaders. All eight presentations failed to do what I think is the most important thing, and that is begin by stating your core belief. Sure. To me, that core belief actually sets the tone for the audience to know what that presentation is actually all about. The best way I can describe that, it's probably a, a very well-known person and certainly model for the people that would listen to this kind of podcast. It's Simon Sinek's very famous Start With Why Golden Circle model. Sure, of course. The vast majority of both individuals and organizations do a horrific job of starting with why. They typically start with how and what, what first and then how. And that was on full display yesterday to me. Eight out of eight, what and how. At no point do they ever get to their core belief. And so for me, the thing that I like to teach people when they build their presentations, when they deliver those presentations, is to follow Simon's lead, is to know what it is you stand for, to understand deeply what your firm is all about. Begin there at its core, most DNA level. That needs to be first, end of story. And it just seems to be something that no matter what I do, no matter how many drums I beat, I'm sure you and your listeners are the same way that get this no matter right. how hard we try, it's just not something so, that's obvious yet. So give me an example. Like, like if you were, um, so for these, you know, obviously don't mention anybody, anybody by name that was in that, that room. We don't want to embarrass anybody, but, but give me an example of how somebody would, um, if they're not really starting that way when they're, when they're designing, when they're creating those presentations, what exactly are you suggesting that they do? Or what are you coaching them to, to do that, that would help the listeners? I can give you an example without, uh, you know, hurting anybody or throwing anyone under the bus. I'll change the names to protect the innocent. Uh, one of the eight, I was very intrigued because it was a pretty good pitch. Right. It was a, a product that essentially uh, was used in new home construction. Okay. It was sort of a, a layer that would be painted onto all of the underlying surfaces. Think okay. the uh, two by fours as well as the backside of sheetrock to add a level of insulation. Okay. And these guys were great and they were clearly smart, really interesting engineers who had been at it. And the thing that they failed to do is really nuance the message. They didn't get that core belief put out. What they did is they said, here's what it is. It's this polymer that we spray on. Okay. But if they had said something along the lines of, we believe that energy loss is the single greatest miss in construction today. If they had said something that simple, that core belief, they could have then gone on to very easily describe what the product is and how it works. But if that notion was very clearly labeled right at the top, that really right. what's about, it's not just a coating, it's about cutting down on your heating and air conditioning bills. And in a place like Phoenix, that's a big deal. And they just failed to get that core belief inserted really sure. anywhere, but certainly at the top. Sure. It's funny because that's, that's one of the things that we kind of talk about on the podcast a lot is that if you do a really good job of making your title really audience focused, what is it that the audience really wants? What can you provide for them? Then, then the rest of it's kind of easy. And I think it's kind of the same thing just from a different perspective. You're saying, hey, your core belief is what people are going to be most interested in. So throw that out there first and design your presentation around that. It makes it a whole lot easier, right? Well, yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more, Doug, from the standpoint of, I say this all the time, that the root of the word presentation is present as in happy birthday, Merry Christmas. You are giving a gift. Sure. I mean, you are giving of yourself, your knowledge, your time, your energy, you better bring it. And when you fail to give a really good gift, those on the receiving end, they know. We've all all experienced that in our our lives, right? We've all had a gift. Thanks. (laughs) That's no good, right? So as a presenter, 
If you understand that you are giving this gift, that present that you are providing people, it must begin with that really clear-cut core belief so that we can actually follow along and understand the message. And I'm specifically talking about business communications here, but, you know, it, it actually holds true for all presentations. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, okay, okay. So that's one of the bigger mistakes is that people don't start with their core belief. What are some of the other kind of mistakes that people often make that, that you see that, uh, that, hey, if we just make a few minor kind of changes in the beginning, we'll get a whole lot better results? Yeah, I think one of them is having a bit of self-awareness about the two C words, as in Charlie, that make the best communicators. Uh, those two C words are conviction and connection. Nice. Uh, again, sticking in the world of business, the vast majority of business presenters will typically have a certain measure of conviction around the thing they're describing. I mean, think about it from a perspective of you're a salesperson. You probably have a fairly strong feeling about the words, the ideas, the products that you're selling. Your conviction is relatively high. Of course, that's not always the case. There right. are plenty of people in plenty of industries and companies who are given material at, let's call it a national level that they have to present and they just don't feel it, right? Right, yeah. And so their conviction might be low. So for me, the thing that I always work with my clients on, the stuff that I try to coach, is we try to identify which one of those two needs the most help. Ironically, it's usually one, not the other. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's usually one, not both. There's usually right. one that I can kind of grab on that's going pretty well. There are some cases where both the conviction and the ability to connect are really low. Sure. But typically, it's just one. The thing is that when we see those really amazing presenters, those people that I, I mean, they're the ones, right? It's because they have both. They, they have both, right? They connect with their audience. They can find stories in parallel paths. They have that energy. They give that present. They are connecting. And then they have a really strong, passionate conviction, an authentic feel for the material, typically starting with a core belief. And so yeah, I, that's that duality. Right, right. Hey, you may not come across this as much. It's one of the things I see most at the at the level of, of folks that I'm kind of coaching in my classes and stuff like that. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I see is when somebody is given a presentation by somebody else, somebody else designs yeah. a presentation or a corporate on high has said, hey, this is what you're going to deliver. I see this a lot. And they have to go in there. And that, because that sounds like one of the big mistakes that that you see that that folks are kind of making. Do you have any advice for somebody if that's the case? If they're, that, hey, I have to, do, this is the presentation my boss makes me give. I don't like it. I don't want to deliver it, but I have to kind of thing. You ever, yeah. ever come across that much? Unfortunately, I see it all the time. I know, me too. It's, it's and, a shame. I, yeah. say, I, I actually like that situation because I think it's a pretty easy thing for people to wrap their arms around. Yeah. I start with two things. One of the things that I always talk about is the notion of task versus opportunity. And so uh, for me, I know that every time I get a chance to speak to a group of people or even one-on-one -on -one with you and your audience, I don't look at this as a task on my to-do list. I look at this as an amazing gift. It's an opportunity that I did not have yesterday to be able to connect with you and your audience. That's right. unbelievable. For me to share my knowledge, my expertise, my wisdom, and have someone actually want to listen, unbelievable. So first, it's that mental shift of not looking at it like, oh, I have to present this material. It's right. No, I get to present this material. This is how I make my livelihood and feed my family. To me, it's just one simple shift. That's one. Number two is you have to find a way to personalize it. And I know that's sometimes easier said than done, but every single presentation, and I mean every single one, there is something, somewhere, somehow, a moment where you can absolutely make it your own. Right. Uh, it could be of what not to do, something that you may have seen gone wrong in the past. It could certainly be on the more uh, asset side. It could be certainly something positive. But those that have those presentations that they have to do, 
man, oh man, find a way to make it your own and really embrace the opportunity and you'll be way better. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think one of the things that a lot of people kind of forget about is that even though this is a corporate presentation that somebody else kind of designed for you, you have your own experience, you have your own stories, you have your own way of connecting with the audience. It doesn't take away that. I mean, that's basically when, when, when my instructors go out and teach classes, I mean, I wrote the class, but they are phenomenal at being able to make that class their own by just kind of using their own personality, their own stories, their own examples to, to make that really come alive. And, and I, you know, if, they, if folks can do that, I think they're doing some of those things that you're, you're suggesting, right? Uh, a thousand percent. The other thing that I would tell you is to also build in a process. Mm -hmm. I, was with, I was with a group yesterday. I was teaching uh, 14, 15 people yesterday, uh, a national sales team. Um, this was the leadership of the whole team. They have a much bigger organization than that group. This was just the top leaders. And I said something like, how often do you guys get on a conference call, a video share, or in person, right. exchange war stories, things that went well, things that didn't go so well? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I said, never. Do that, even if it's yeah, once exactly. a quarter for an hour. Right. Could, you, could you imagine the material that would come out of one phone call? Oh just my going God, yeah. around a table of saying, all right, you had to give that presentation that came from on high. What worked, what didn't work? Man, could you learn a lot? Oh, yeah. Make it your own. Yeah, it's funny. when It, it, it kind of reminds me, when I, was, when I first got into sales, I, I was brand new to sales. I'd left in an entire industry that I studied in school that was on, I was in the oil business. And when oil went down to next to nothing per barrel, so went into, I, I was like, ah, man, my career is kind of over at a very young age. And, and I went into sales and within like six months, my boss had made me the sales manager. And one That's of the things job. that I implemented at our sales meetings was just, hey, Tell me what happened yesterday that was fun or funny or interesting or what did you do really well? And, they, and just those stories that got shared, That's right. that, was when the, that was when the revenue and the, um, the, the, the marketing expenditure that we were, the, the marketing money that we were spending actually decreased and the, and the, the revenue kind of really came up. It was just because well, of those, those, those great stories that we were sharing because we, now my, my sales reps would kind of go out of the, 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 um, sales meeting every week and they would be loaded for bear and then they would be telling those stories over and over again and people would be laughing and it was great. I mean, it was fantastic camaraderie. Absolutely. It's funny because that's one of the things that I, I kind of bring over when I'm kind of teaching folks about public speaking too. So yeah, I, that's the awesome. The universal language by far, yeah. the universal language of business is numbers, right? right. Spreadsheets and P&L and balance statements and stock prices, it's numbers. Right. But it's the stories people remember. Yes. If you think about a salesperson who uh, has that 11th hour deal to put them over a quota, they may not remember the dollars or right. all the dollars before it, but they remember the story. Of they how absolutely they do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, so, um, so we, we kind of, I kind of talked about in your intro, uh, some of the background that you had. Uh, so, because you've coached executives, you coach people that have gone on Shark Tank, and I want to save that toward the end because I know that's sure. what a lot of people that are listening to the podcast right now say. Okay, so how do I how do I do that? So I'm, well, I'll kind of save that for a little bit, but um, just in general, presentation, communication skills. Why why in, why on earth do those things really matter in today's world? What is it that if you improve in those things, what's it going to do for you, your career, your success level, your your, your personal life, that kind of thing. So why is that all that important anyway? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I feel very strongly about this. I think, you know, anyway, slice it. I, I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million times more in corporate life. Leaders have no choice, but to communicate. 
Of course. Whether it's one to one, one to a thousand, email, in person, large conferences, whatever it is, if you're a leader, you have to communicate. And it's interesting because we see tremendous amounts of evidence. I think it's safe to say this, and that is those that communicate very well are often quickly made leaders. It's funny that you say that because that was the one thing I was going to say is that it's not that communicators, I mean, leaders communicate well. It's that if you want to be a communicator, you have to be able to communicate well, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's where they go. It's basically if, if everything else is the same, right? If everything else is the same, experience, education level, exactly right. work ethic, all that kind of stuff, I'm going to pick the guy who's got better communication skills. Exactly. You think about your oil shift when you got right. into sales. I mean, the reason you got promoted so quickly was probably a variety of things, Doug, but certainly your ability to weave a few words together had to be a big part of it. Absolutely. Almost all, almost, I would say 99% of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so from a standpoint of just being able to do uh, life, you know, from a standpoint of having more things, money, resources, et cetera, right. all, you know, top of the food chain is kind of the better spot to be. It sounds terrible. And I mean it from a very pragmatic standpoint, of course, but the reality is, is for your life, but certainly your career, having that skill set that includes very much the written word, which is often uh, undermined or demeaned altogether. It, right. Your ability to communicate effectively can absolutely set you apart. No doubt. Yeah, about. It, no matter what in anything, yeah. you know, it's I'm, every, every single thing, every single part of your life is it, it does affect it in a very positive way. Absolutely. Hey, so, um, so some of those executives that you worked with, so you've worked with some big time executives. What are some of the life, life lessons that you've learned over the years that, that you can kind of pass along to the folks that are kind of listening? Uh, I would tell you number one, by far, by far, by far, is gratitude. Uh, when, yep. I, when I start working with people, uh, I mean, I, I was very excited uh, this morning because we confirmed a very large project with Amazon to work with nice. some folks there. And so it's the kind of thing where they said, what's the first step? And I said, well, I'm going to send you some things. And, and one of those things is a gratitude journal. And so it's essentially like a, you know, like a typical, just kind of a moleskin kind of a right, notebook. Right. And I, I basically say, I want you to start noticing all the little things and certainly all the big things. I want you to have a sense of gratitude. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I say, well, today in my little journal, I wrote down I was grateful for contact lenses. And that's real. I mean, I can't see a thing without mine, right? <laughs> and so they, they give me this kind of quizzical look like, why do I want to write this stuff down? How does that have anything to do with presentations? And to me, it's really all about that energy and the positivity that you can bring to that opportunity. Once you start realizing how good we have it on so many fundamental levels, it can fundamentally shift your way of being. And when you're giving that gift of your knowledge, your time, your expertise, your presentation, if you can have that more positive asset-based energy, sure. it can be a tremendous difference. We have all sat through or seen presenters who are the exact opposite. And that's not anything I would ever coach. Right. So I think that's a pretty good life lesson right there is just be grateful for what you have, are, are in, because you can always find someone with more. Yes. But I promise you, you can find someone with a lot less. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's deal. one. Uh, the other thing I would tell you is this is definitely one of those kind of things that uh, I, I guarantee you're going to agree with me on this one, Doug. Uh, preparation is big. And so when I work with some of these big senior leaders at humongous brands, the one thing they all seem to face is a lack of time. And I feel that with my businesses too. Sure. I, I am time compromised constantly. However, 
this is one of those kind of things where uh, when you are standing on a stage, perhaps, or even doing something like this one-on-one, you got all those eyes looking back at you. That pressure is real. When you're standing in that moment, you could probably look back at the couple of weeks or maybe days of preparation that you could have done. You probably could have found some time. Because man, oh man, it's real when you're not prepared. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I push the agenda on saying extemporaneous speaking really means a lot of preparation that no one ever saw. Right. That's, that's what that really looks like. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to end on, you know, the, on the kind of exciting stuff. So um, just so I, cause I kind of, I glossed exciting. over I this, that. I glossed over this at the beginning, but so you've trained a number of people that a number of folks that have actually gone on shark tank. You've also yeah. trained a bunch of people or quite a few people that have done Ted talks and, and that kind of thing too. So, so just give them the numbers just so that, like how many, how many of each one of those things have you done in your career? We've had, we've had 10 teams on shark tank. We've had, nice. I, Holy cow. I, think it, I think it's 26. It could be 24. So let's call it 25. Uh, <laughs> Ted presenters. Right. And um, then I think the one that's kind of a little bit more of an esoteric figure, but it is, it's something between my work at Northwestern university, just outside Chicago. And then a lot of additional work with uh, let's call them startup enterprises. Think of it as innovators and entrepreneurs about $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion of money raised to create new businesses, new businesses. and develop some commerce uh, have gone through us. So we've had, we've had a pretty good run. Nice. Holy cow. That's incredible. That's incredible. So how on earth did you get that as a specialty? I'm, I'm assuming that it was one client that we're in. You, you probably, the first time you did it, you were like, I have no clue how to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, figure it out as I go. And then once you figured it out, you're like, holy cow, I can duplicate this. This is that, that really works. Right. I mean, that's how I, that's how I got into a lot of the specialties that I'm in public speaking too. So. Yeah, it's a great question. And I would tell you a lot of it was just some pure luck, a lot of serendipity, a lot of things fell in place. Right. But I think as much as anything is I recognized very early on. uh, I mean, I mean, as a young, young, young kid, that I had this ability to connect and be convincing because of a, a deep conviction around the words I spoke. I knew I had a certain thing. And so as my career sort of progressed, um, I was put in a position to be able to help a few people. And I had the boldness to say something along the lines of, if you do it my way, you'll win. If you do it your way, you'll lose. And it was like a right. pitch competition. Right. Uh, the first big one had a hundred thousand dollars on the line. And uh, this, guy was a very, very, very bright guy. And he understood that I knew more than he did about this particular thing. And so he said, all right, I'll, I'll, I got nothing to lose. I'll follow your, your lead. Well, he won. Right. And that led to a bit of a domino falling on a larger sequence of events then. And I stuck with that notion of, well, if you do it my way, you'll win. And then they kept winning. And so it just kind of became a groundswell, with, which then emboldened me to say, yeah, I really do think I have something here. And so more than anything, what happened was I had opportunity. Uh, It's a little bit like a major league ball player taking swings in the batting cage. I took a lot of swings, which then put me in a position that when it was time to step to the plate, I could hit the curve. So I just got a lot of repetition, a lot of luck, really honed the nuance and the skill, became a student of the game and did every bit of research I could. And ultimately, it's now just a pretty fairly straightforward model and system that we have in place and it works. 
So, it's, you know, it was just a lot of hard work and dedication and practice. Yeah, I, I think the thing that uh, that I, I really wanted to kind of pull out of you, though, is that the very first time you were coaching a group of investors or a person that was looking to have, they've got a company and they, they're looking to investors, they weren't going on Shark Tank, I'm assuming, right? Oh, right. I mean, it was that, right. And it yeah. was years of yeah, coaching yeah, yeah. that before. So one of those clients that you worked with had done so well with what you exactly. were doing that they ended up on Shark Tank. And that's where you kind of got that's that was the kind of the end to get in there. Right. So yeah, it was because a lot of people want to start at the top. They're like, oh, my God, I want to be a great public speaking coach. I want to be a coach or something like that. But they don't they, they, they want to stop at the, at the very top of the organization. They didn't start where we did, right? Uh, luck looks an awful lot like hard work. It does, yeah. You just have to sort of grind it out from time to time. The other thing is too, and I mean this sincerely, there are some people who just aren't qualified. I, right. um, I attended a thing called the uh, NSA Speakers Academy. No, NSA Speaker University. Speaker University. Right. It was the National Speakers Association. Yes. And at the very first, let's call it a 10, 12 week program, I forget. At the halfway break of the very first night, I went up to the instructor, who was a great guy, I love this guy, and said, please tell me this gets better, not just tonight, but for the rest of the class. <laughs> and he said, no, this is a pretty, we're doing it's really good tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, this is hot garbage. And by that I meant the people that were brought in to be the guest experts, but certainly even the people in the class who already thought of themselves as really true expert communicators. Right. I mean, Doug, I know it sounds terrible, but most of these people were just not great. They oh, were yeah, yeah. really substandard. And I don't think they understood the difference between sticking to baseball for a second, uh, single A ball and major leagues. Sure, they may have been in the top few percentage points of better than average communicators, but they were not in that top tier by any stretch. These were not all-stars. And that's the vast majority of people out there. The vast majority are, are maybe better than average. There are a few who are really, really great, and you have to know. Well, hey, let me just ask you real quick. Um, I think I know the answer. I think I know what you're going to say here. But the, these top-notch presenters compared to the ones that you were just talking about, yeah, are they more the type that are really honing in on technique and they've got this process when they, they speak, or are they really just speaking as if they're talking to everybody in the audience one-on-one? Oh, it's going to absolutely be the latter. They are I, all I, about, the deepest thing is about authenticity. Right. I, mean, I, I will tell you that there is, if there's one thing to, to take away from this podcast is anyone that trains the lessons from an actor and all, <laughs> no, right. it's about the authentic you. The right. Authenticity is the factor. End of story. And it's not something that can be faked. It can't be created necessarily. It can be augmented for sure. But man, oh man, oh man, it's these folks that want to memorize and then be theatrical. No, right. I want you to internalize and then be you. Huge difference. Fantastic. Huge. Yeah. Hey, so so when uh, when you take on Duke, I'm, I'm sure you're you're at, at a position now where you get to kind of choose your clients pretty wisely now. So, but when you take on new clients, what kind of clients are you are you kind of taking on now? Are you are you more focused on still on the the um, the folks that have a good idea and they're looking for investors for their companies? That's still a main part. Are you looking more for the professional speakers or what kind of folks do you do you uh, kind of bring on as your new clients from time to time? 
I'm doing a lot less in the startup world, um, right. mostly because, as you could have guessed, <laughs> those startup entities typically don't have a whole lot of money. Right. Um, and so I did that. As a, that was batting practice for a bunch of years, sincerely. And now I still do that work at a university level and from time to time with individuals who see the value in it. But the vast majority of my client base is typically CEO, senior vice president, founder. It's that serious, high-level thought leader within any kind of industry. We spend a, the majority of our time in healthcare, financial services, and technology. Those are the, the sectors that we serve the most. Um, and as you could guess, the more complex the message, the more we can shine. Our job right. as much as anything is to really simplify what's spoken so that the audience really gets it. And so the work that I do is with those really senior leaders who have important messages that are difficult to get out in a nice, easy way, and we help craft a message and teach them to deliver it with some, some, some power. So it's, it's that higher level. So if one of those folks are kind of listening right now, how would they get in touch with you? I'm assuming your website would be the best way? Easiest way is squareplanet.com, which is just like round earth is what I ask people to think. <laughs> right. um, you could certainly uh, check out my book on Amazon. It's called Stand for Your Beliefs. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I just messed it up. It's called oh. Stand for Something. The, the Stand for Something, the power of building a brand people authentically love. Nice. Uh, okay, good deal. Great. And we're totally not going to edit that out either because people think that when we when we do these things that we just totally edit. Everything we're doing here is no, live. Which is a, this is a live recording. So. Nice. Screwed up my own book title. So, you guys, yes. so you guys kind of know that. Um, yeah, so I will, um, I'll put um, Brian's contact information or his website anyway, link to his website on the uh, the show notes. So if you're looking for that, just go to uh, the Fearless Presentations website and it'll link right there to him. So Brian, thanks a lot for being, for taking part in the Fearless Presentations podcast. And for those of you who are regular attenders here, fantastic. We'll see you next week. For those of you who this is the first time, maybe you, you know Brian and you wanted to kind of hear him talk, then uh, we look forward to having you be a part of the, the podcast in the future as well. So thanks a lot, Brian, for coming out. Great to be here. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.